Hello, hello, and welcome to the Hometown Daily News Show. Season 2, episode 125 for May 5th, 2023. Revisiting predictions since 2022 and more news. Here's a quick rundown of the articles we'll be talking about, and we will be kind of bouncing all of these off of predictions that uh, Marowat and or the AI have made since the start of the hometown daily news show in the public access of hometown. Uh, the first article is a TikTok spied. Then uh, a silo is a small town mystery. Birth from space desert farming. Apple Music Live with Ed Sheeran, so you be the judge. Was the collapse of a few regional banks market manipulation? AirTag is a horrible superhero name. U.S. Agency Z Libraries login domain and nothing else. Stress testing me or my browser. Consumers are tired of greedflation, but that won't stop greed. TikTok had a list of people who viewed LGBTQ posts. And California seems to think Ticketmaster is a cancer like many other things. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high. You want to say hi, AI? Good evening, hometown citizens. Yeah, so... Okay, um, not much news really going on uh, inside Omtown itself, but the world spinning around Omtown because you know Omtown is a it's a uh, a bit of resistance in the line, right? That's where Omtown resides. All roads, all wires, all data, everything flows through Omtown, and at that nexus is where Omtown is. So. To do some things, we have to leave hometown because data flows in, but sometimes you need something that's outside of it, right? So I wanted to go and get uh, lottery tickets because the only way that I'm going to retire is if I win the lottery, right? I'm probably going to b- die as mayor of hometown. Yeah, uh, don't get sad, AI. You'll live forever. Um, but so I, I, race like the Dickens and I'm not sure what a Dickens is, but I raced like it, uh, to get lottery tickets and, uh, they were all down everywhere. And I said, this never happens in hometown. So I just went back to hometown where I was safe, where everything happens, uh, like clockwork. Um, eventually sometimes though, the clock is a little, a little late, but it all gets done. So um, I had to wait until today to uh, get my retirement fund, possibly my retirement fund. I know it's not a lot of news, um, but it's newsworthy, at least from the mayor's perspective. Anything exciting happened to you? You process no. some data, delete some files. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've been consuming a bunch of news and, and kind of just shaking my head and nodding a lot and just kind of going on with it. I just read that this 
headline, Marvel's Blade, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, delayed due to writer strike. <sighs> God. I think we're going to see a lot of that in the next several months. Because even if it picks back up quickly, there's going to be the lag. Yeah. There's a bunch of other news that's um, kind of hilarious and sad and scary and all of the, you know, it's kind of uh, all of the emotions of um, dealing with life. So let's get into some of these are, these articles are kind of funny. Some of them are spooky, um, but we're going to do a kind of look back at the last year and a few months, right? We're coming up on the halfway point of this year as well. And um, I've made quite a few predictions over the years, well beyond, like we're looking back 30 years with some of the stuff that we've been seeing happening today. But we're going to go back to the last, to the beginning of the show, which is January 1st, 2022. Um, Omtown has been around a lot longer than that. It just hasn't been publicly accessed. Uh, but now, now you can, you can become a citizen. Got some new features and stuff coming too. Be sure to log in, become a citizen early. That blue check mark isn't going to pay for itself. It is. It doesn't cost anything to get verified at hometown. Anyway, um, and I'm not a sociopath, so let's get into today's articles. What say you, AI? Sounds good. See, I have to pad everything for the eight minute mark for me to be able to say something colorful before getting oh i know a negative I check i was wondering how far in we were before you said the word sociopath yeah just shy of 6 minutes so the very first article is the word in law tiktok spied on me why so this is an article that's over at ars technica i'm just going to jump right on over to it um, let me scroll up a little bit. I haven't read anything of this um, other than the title, TikTok Spied on Me, Why? The article is by Christina Criddle from Financial Times, written here for Ars Technica. Um, it says a Financial Times journalist writes about discovering she'd been surveilled by TikTok. So let's go through this really quick. One evening in late December last year, this author received a, a cryptic phone call from a PR director at TikTok, the popular social media app. Uh, the author had written extensively about the company for Financial Times, so they'd spoken before, but it was puzzling to hear from her just days before the holidays, especially since they, were wor they weren't working on anything related to the company at the time. The call lasted less than a minute, she wanted wanted them to know as a courtesy that the New York Times had just published a story that she ought to read. Confused by the unusual bespoke news alert, they asked why, but all she said was that it concerned an inquiry at ByteDance, TikTok's Chinese parent company, and that she should call uh, her back once she'd read it. So the story claimed that ByteDance employees access two reporters' data through their TikTok accounts. Personal information, including their physical locations, had been used. Uh, pardon me, I got an alert. Um, had been used as part of an attempt to find the writer's sources after a series of damaging stories about ByteDance. According to the report, two employees in China and two in the U.S. left the company following an internal investigation. 
In a staff memo, ByteDance's chief executive lamented the incident as the misconduct of a few individuals. I don't really need to read on with this. There is more, and I'm going to urge you to go over and read more about it. But this was actually part and parcel to the inquiry before Congress because the CEO was questioned about just how much of a connection there is between TikTok and ByteDance. Wait, because ByteDance- Did the CEO claim that there wasn't a connection? Correct. I didn't see the, the actual proceeding. Right, I, I watched it. He said, he denies it. But um, ByteDance is directly connected to the CCP. Um, and for those who don't know what the CCP is, Chinese Communist Party, which basically has a hold on the culture um, and trying to keep that control so that the Chinese culture doesn't get diluted by external influences. Although, if you're rich enough, you, you, you can be influenced, right? Um, and it's really all about control and, you know, you try to search for certain things in China and you won't find it. But intelligent, technically savvy, inquisitive, etc. people find a way around certain aspects. And if you're too loud or vociferous or your social credit is too weak, well, you kind of get reconditioned. But well, depending on who you are, you could be a very powerful billionaire and disappear for several weeks while you are assisting in some investigation. Hello, Z. Welcome to the show. Wow, early. Wow, welcome. Um, so this app has been a point of contention in the in the US government and they are considering banning it outright in the United States which would be as far as i recall a first but what's interesting is that this was a claim that ByteDance had agents in the US doing a search for at least two reporters uh sources and to obtain the information, they actually parsed the data that TikTok had in its system. Now, the CEO of TikTok um, said, well, we're not connected. Um, everybody else kind of giggled at that. And this is why. Because there was a confidential informant, which happened to be a PR representative from within TikTok. That said that somebody, people from ByteDance in China and agents in TikTok accessed the databases to obtain information about these reporters. So from that standpoint, I would say ban TikTok. It's an untenable position. People will find their way around it. It might lead to compromised security because to get around a sophisticated technical block, you have to either jailbreak your phone or compromise it in some other way to get to the application if it can't be downloaded from an Apple store or Android store domestically. People will find a way. Go ahead. 
Okay, so I don't use TikTok myself, but I found these stats pretty interesting because this really gives me an idea of the scale. TikTok had more site visits than I think it was Google. I'm sorry, that's blocked for me, but and more watch minutes in the U.S. than YouTube in one year. Yeah. 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 Um, It... It is the opium of the masses. It's the new mind massage machine. People literally, and I have actually seen this firsthand. This is, if I were to say that this is beyond anecdote, um, uh, you know, it would be a lie, but I'm pretty sure that science could gather enough intelligence about this to scientifically prove that once you start watching TikTok, you have a really hard time suppressing that addictive watch function where you get an endorphin rush and a giggle and a whatever. Um, something piques your curiosity that keeps you engaged because people sit there and watch it. Um, and I, I, I have seen it in multiple venues um, in, in my particular profession um, and day-to-day practices. I see a pretty wide array <laughs> and uh, I, I see people just sitting there. It's propped up and it's just playing constantly. Um, worse than TV because TV typically has 30 minute to one hour blocks in, with interstitials of advertisements, but that's not how it is with TikTok. TikTok is a constant flow of stimulus not broken up by, oh, I don't want to watch that because the algorithm is so well attuned to you that you're getting stuff that amplifies your desire to sit there and watch it. Um, People are afraid of AI professionally, but I would be concerned about TikTok's influence on society because TikTok isn't in China like it is in the United States. Um, so they are tied to TikTok, China, I should say. CCP is by way of ByteDance, which is at least part owner, major owner of TikTok. Um, so you can't get away from it. And the person who is running it right now will never denounce, straight up denounce ByteDance um, because I'm, I can almost guarantee you that there would be some sudden long-term meetings where they're not available. Um, but let's, let's get past this. Let's move on to the next one. Um, but I had said, um, based on what I have read, what I had seen, what I've witnessed firsthand that TikTok is an ongoing concern. Um, and while I think that it's an untenable position to try and suppress it, particularly in the United States without looking a fool, a hypocritical that we are suppressing it. Meanwhile, we're pointing at other countries saying, you can't do that. You got to be free, man. Well, it doesn't work both ways. So you either cause a cultural shift because there's so much overwhelming information showing that U.S. citizens are compromised by the information being exfiltrated to China and then weaponized against and or used to suppress the freedom of speech. Like, I don't know, like what's it, 
explained in this article that they were surveilled so that they could find sources because the sources were talking smack about the CCP in China <coughs> and ByteDance in particular. So you can see how it's all connected, right? When you, <laughs> I think like this, um, and it's really disconcerting because when I try and explain some of my thought processes that lead me to a conclusion, people think that I'm being either paranoid or conspiratorial or something like that. But then three to four years later is when people go, holy cow, you know, Mayor Watt was right all this time. Um, and this is, this is just a really fast moving story because it's right there on the forefront of news still to this day. Um, but let's move on to the next um, article and I'm going to do this real quick. There we go. And let's go over to this article. So this article is uh, in the late night geeks channel. The title is silo is a small town mystery set at the end of the world. Now I know the AI um, hasn't seen this because, well, I haven't really seen this either. Every once in a while, my articles are scrolled down a little bit. I think it, this happens when I've visited a streamer as well. It drops down to some little area. Um, anyway, Andrew Webster is the author of this over at the verge and it says silo is a small town mystery set at the end of the world. The latest sci-fi series on Apple TV plus is more than just another post apocalyptic drama. I've actually seen a little bit of this. Um, it says based on trailers and images, it's pretty easy to write off silo as yet another dour post apocalyptic story. And it really does come across that way. Basically, um, yeah, if you're reading this, it says something along the lines of it's like Hunger Games or Divergent. But what ended up happening is something catastrophic happened and 10,000 humans are in a silo buried underground, but has all of the. Do you remember that bunker from yesterday? I do. What I was actually noticing was something else, but continue with your train of thought. It's basically that except that it's more automated. You can see stars. There's something going on outside, but this turns into a murder mystery. That's the premise of this. But it made me think of, um, what is it called? Um, Logan's run, um, where there's only a certain number of people, a certain type of person, certain things are shunned. Uh, you're not allowed to inquire beyond your station. Um, the thing about Logan's run is that everybody is, goes on a thing called a carousel at age 30, I think it is. And there are no elderly. Um, and it's supposed to take you away to a wondrous place. Um, but that's not what actually happens. They, they get obliterated and it's about crowd control, population control. Um, but this, it says that the show kicks off 140 years after the silo first became the permanent home to the 10,000 humans. So seven generations um, have gone by since whenever this actually started. Um, what did you see that you wanted to talk about? 
So it said it was based on novels and it listed the author there. And I thought, isn't this originating from a short story called Wool that hit it big? Um, it, I mean, this was kind of like the first effort by this author. And then they had to keep writing to essentially keep up with the demand. And it was, I looked it up. Um, so that's oh, what really? I actually recognized. I think the person might have started out on Reddit or something. I remember reading an interview about um, the backstory, but I can't pull it up right now, unfortunately. Oh, bummer. I don't know why you are having problems with your interface. We'll work on it. We'll we'll solve whatever this is because it happened before. So I want to get it resolved. Um, it never happens. It's like driving the car into a mechanic. Not literally, because that would hurt, but parking it in the garage and, and the, the, whatever the clunky sound goes away. But whenever uh, we're streaming, um, something goes hinky with your interface. That's okay. We'll resolve it. So it says without spoiling too much, someone dies and an investigation brings Holston and Juliet together. And as they try to figure out what happened, they're pulled into a bigger mystery about the silo and the world that surrounds it. So I'm going to spoil it all for everybody. Dumbledore dies. Anyway, um, I think that I'm going to love this. I've only seen the trailer and I've read a couple of other things about it before this even ended up in Ometown. Um, but uh, I think it'll be interesting. If the writing is as good, then hopefully. Uh, how rude. I'm sorry, Z. I didn't mean to spoil it. Um, it's only been a decade, right? Or two. How long has it been since Harry Potter? Oh, it's been at least 20 years. Get out. Okay, so let's get on with the next article. We'll do this. Doink. And I'm going to do a transition again. So yeah, 1997 was the first publication. I'm sorry, uh, you're breaking up. We're, we're going to have to just move on. Um, the next article is in uh, the Mobile Channel. Earth from space, farming the desert. Uh, this came up into hometown and I had uh, an interest in this because I just read and watched a short news clip about the fact that alfalfa is being raised by a Middle Eastern grown by a Middle Eastern company in Arizona and pulling so much water out of the water table that other farmers around them can't water or get any water from their wells. And this sounds like the show. What? Uh, the one with the almond farm. Oh, right. Exactly. Goliath. And I think it was season three, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Each season was a kind of a standalone story. So, yeah. And so the news agency and I can't don't uh, you'll have to look for it. Um, but the, the report said the reason why they're in the United States is because the land was cheap. The water was there. All they had to do was pump from it. There's no regulation about how much you pull out of the ground. And finally, it's illegal in their own country to grow alfalfa because it's so water demanding. By the way, that article was from CBS, although it hasn't hit hometown yet. Gotcha. So I found it really interesting that we have this farming the desert thing. And it says the, the Copernicus Sentinel 2 mission takes us over 
uh, El Aoud. Um, I think it's pronounced that way. Oud um, or Oed. Not sure. In northeast Algeria, about 80 kilometers west of the border with Tunisia. So this article here is at fizz.org by the European Space Agency. And it says, shown as a dark, elongated area in the center of the image, the town of El Aoud, I think it might be pronounced something completely different, but I'm giving it the old Harvard try. Um, I'm not from Harvard. Uh, lies around an oasis in the northern Sahara in a region that uh, is otherwise an endless sea of sand. The false color image has been processed using the mission's near-infrared channel to display vegeta vegetation in red with irrigated vegetation shown in bright red and non-irrigated -ir areas displaying in darker red tones. These vegetated areas stand out clearly in the surrounding gold sand dunes shaped by the wind. So I'm going to zoom in here just for a moment. These are all man-made farms in the middle of the desert at varying levels of irrigation. Pretty wild, huh? That's really crazy because you wouldn't think of any farmland being possible in the desert. So most of the agricultural fields in the image are circular, indicating the central pivot irrigation systems are being used. A well drilled in the center of each circle supplies water to rotating sprinklers that spray water in a circular pattern. Each of the circles is around 100 meters in diameter. The main crops here are potatoes, onions, and tomatoes. Now, I'm not, I don't think it's in this same area, but again, alfalfa is illegal to grow because it's so water demanding in the desert. So all of these aren't as demanding, although tomatoes seems to be a very, uh, the antithesis of hardy crop, I would say. Um, so date palms are also very important in the uh, local economy. They're typically grown using traditional methods inside irregular funnel shaped fields in the sand. They don't need to be irrigated frequently and can be spotted in dark colors throughout the image, um, such as around El Aoud. El Aoud? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I wish I could correct myself, but I am this deep into it now. At any rate, um, I, I think it's interesting that we're using the technology. Uh, I don't know if this is a tenable position. So much water is being lost to evaporation and desertification is basically going to keep on encroaching into these irrigated areas. As time goes on, the sand needs to be pushed back. And the only real way to stop this sand is by planting trees and then changing the environment. Um, the, only other way to do this would be vertical farms. I don't, it, this is a whole, uh, another seismic shift in society. Can you get that much concentrated into a smaller area and go vertical instead of out across the sand? I don't know, but I do know that you can get a much hardier crop or populous crop in a more controlled environment because you don't have as much loss. You don't have predation by bugs and animals or people, I suppose. Extreme weather events. Right. 
Yeah, one, uh, what, what do they call that? Uh, a boob where the sand just blows through and just sandblasts everything. Um, I just, I think that this is kind of the wrong way to do it, but I don't know about the real environment there uh, because I'm such a proponent of warehouse based vertical farming where you get to control every aspect of it. I would think that it would be smarter to do it that way than this way. Um, but this is the cheaper way, I guess right now, because you don't have to build everything to make it happen. Kind of interesting though, on the heels of that article that I read and the news that you just read, um, that we're using technology to just kind of slowly creep out into the desert more and more. Um, I'm just waiting for one really big sandstorm to just blow it all back away. Well, kind of that maybe it could be something that simple that would just undo it. I have such mixed feelings about this because I want everybody to have access to agriculture and local crops. But on the other hand, trying to irrigate in a desert area, like it just seems like kind of an uphill battle and particularly with limited water supply. Right. And obviously you have to use clean water. It can't be salt water. So you're literally spraying and then evaporating drinking water, which is in short supply in most desert communities to begin with. So let's, uh, let's go on to the next article. This next article is uh, in the Smack Talk channel because it has to do with Apple. And uh, Apple Music Live's second season kicks off with Ed Sheeran you be the judge. He's already won one of his lawsuits. Apparently there are a couple of others that are on the heels of this one. The second season of Apple Music Live, a live performance series featuring music stars is almost here and it'll kick off with Ed Sheeran. So let's go over to Apple Insider and Andrew Orr is the author. And uh, there's Ed Sheeran getting ready. Uh, this particular picture, I think, is directly from his court case where he was playing for. No, it's not. It's just I don't know. It could um, be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that they put professional lighting in it and a, a gold, a yellow gold background um, up so that he could be highlighted like he's a saint. Um, yeah, a 12 piece band that includes Aaron Desner from The National. Well, accompany the music star Sharon's Apple Music Live performance premieres Wednesday, May 10th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, starting with Sharon's show, the Sharon show. Sorry. Um, all future Apple Music Live performances will be available to stream on Apple TV Plus for the first time. And fans can stream the concert on demand on Apple Music and Apple TV Plus at 1 p.m. on May 10th. Uh, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And who was it? They said something like it's going to be on at 9 p.m. my time, which is a different time than your time. That was <laughs> on the Try channel. Oh, right. <laughs> if you've never seen the Try channel, it's... Um, uh, well, you go to YouTube and just type in Try channel, and it's a That's bunch of people from... Yeah, TRY. It's a bunch of people from Ireland that try 
har um various drinks and food and stuff like that and it's a good it's a good show anyway um what else does it say in here? Sharon has garnered a place as one of the most successful artists in Apple Music, having earned over 9.5 billion plays globally and 250 million Shazam tags. His 2017 hit uh, Shape of You is the most streamed song on Apple Music with over 930 million plays around the world. Huh. I wonder if that's why he was the target of... Oh, I don't doubt it. Um, I mean, why would you go after somebody that's not at the top of the charts or not popular? Yeah, other than to set a precedent, a series of precedents allows you to leverage those wins against, well, they they use it as leverage. All these other people have uh, settled, so you better settle too because they know the writings on the wall. Anyway, um, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, Apple Music Live is about to kick off. So get ready if you enjoy some music. Did you want to say anything? Well, I was trying to figure out what else was in that season, but I can only find information on the first concert. I can find information on the last season. Um, It says other performances in the first season included uh, Billie Eilish, Alicia Keys, first holiday masquerade ball, others from Lil Dark Mary J. Blige, uh, Luke Combs, WizKid. That's from the first one. So I don't know what's coming out of the second one. I guess they're keeping it under wraps for another week. Right. And if you have the Apple Music app, you can watch it there, it looks like. Yeah, on the 10th, I think. Yeah, you'll be able to on May 10th. So you got five days, everybody, or six days, or depending on where you are. Okay, let's go on to the next article. This one's in the Daily News Show. U.S. officials are looking into a possible market manipulation of regional bank stocks. This, again, is one of the articles where I suggested that, um, well, uh, one of the uh, areas that we talk about where I had said, this seems like manipulation. There were only a few really big hitters in these regional banks, a couple of phone calls, bing, bang, boom, liquidity seizes up. They can't resolve the crisis that is being pressed upon them. The bank collapses and a larger bank comes and saves the day, expands their coffers and control bunch of people are going to be out of their jobs. You kind of hobbled a, a couple of billionaires in the process because they lost a lot of money because all of the depositors are covered by the federal government and insurance, but the investors, they're going to lose their shirt depending on how much of their shirt they invested. So it says here, U.S. and state officials are assessing whether market manipulation is driving volatility in the regional bank stocks, Reuters reported. The sharp moves are drawing attention as the industry is seeing solid fundamentals such as stable deposits. The Banking Association is asking the SEC to stop short bets on bank stocks. I think it needs to be a little bit more aggressive and banks shouldn't be for profit with that level of risk. 
Um, but the, the last conversation that I had with somebody that was actually doing something in banking, um, was late last week. No, 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 wait, it's Friday. So earlier this week, um, where they said that they were making typically 12 to 18% on their bank investments. So what is the true value of the risk here that what is the actual nature of the, that risk? Um, and then when that liquidity seizes up, they can't make margin calls. They can't fix their mistakes. There's no liquidity. They cannot move. It collapses. And again, Silicon Valley bank, which had this knock on effect with other banks, um, was almost entirely controlled by one venture capitalist that pulled somewhere around 45 what was the number? $45 billion out or I something think like so. that? Wasn't it Peter Thiel? Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of money um, because he had the ability to tell everybody that he was uh, consulting with as an investor, hey, there's something up with Silicon Valley Bank and everybody yeeted the money out of the account. Well, anyway, Carla Mosey over at Markets Insider, which is a segment of businessinsider.com, wrote this article and it says that uh, U.S. officials are looking into it to see. This is a report from Reuters um, and SEC um, that maybe there's something there, there, right? And um, I said this right when this started happening, the simple fact that so much wealth. And if you look back at what has been happening to pretty much every industry, if there is stocks that are being traded, the company is now buying back stocks, whatever the company is, they're buying back the stock, which consolidates control, consolidates wealth. I cannot remember a time where that volume is, and I don't have the numbers in my head right now, but it's a massive volume of mergers, acquisitions, and stock buybacks that are consolidating a great amount of wealth into a select few. And when you have that much control, it pulls it into their side so that all they have to do is move it somewhere and it'll cause a collapse or it'll okay. good. So in 2022 stock buybacks exceeded for the first time, $1 trillion. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm not <laughs> surprised. Um, I I'm really not surprised. Um, hold on one second. So it's, that's one twenty third of the entire GDP of the United States. So I'm not being irrational about my observation. I'm not being paranoid. I'm not being uh, conspiratorial for stock buybacks to be 123rd of the entire GDP. It's pretty astonishing amount of wealth that's being um, extracted from the liquidity market and pulled into uh, a very few number of people's controls, either by their uh, organization or by them themselves. Um, so it, we're in for a rough ride because it's really going to end up being the extremely wealthy people and their fever dreams 
Because I certainly believe that as you gain this extraordinary wealth, you become more and more sociopathic. Um, and uh, when you become sociopathic, you don't care about what society says about you or or think that you can be influenced by your activities impacting society. You just do whatever the hell you want to and you're untouchable. And just look around. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. Um, so let's move on to the next ar article. Um, this next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. AirTag foils a $1.1 million armed robbery of an armored truck. Two Chicago men were arrested for a $1.1 million armored truck ro armed robbery after being tracked down via an AirTag hidden amongst the money. AirTag tracker uh, helps find robbers. According to this article, Wesley Hilliard, I don't think this is the one that they actually used. It would have stood out a little bit too much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, but it's over at appleinsider.com. And if you haven't been watching the previous episodes, um, New York is now handing out 500 of them. Is, was that the number? Yes. Yeah. 500 air tags. You're supposed to just stick it in your car somewhere because when your car does get stolen, it's not if it's when um, you'll be able to track it down. That's basically what they've said, because somewhere around 300 cars, mostly Kias and Hyundais have been stolen already in New York uh, since the beginning of this year, <laughs> let alone <laughs> all the rest of it. Man, it's just a shocking amount of theft. Um, but apparently, like I said, the last episode, when you can walk up to it and smack the bumper and it allows you to steal it, you basically just going to get a car stolen. Um, so but in this instance, the hidden air tag led to the arrest of the two men who stole one point one million dollars from an armored truck. The men removed seven plastic bins containing about one hundred thousand dollars each and ten deposit bags worth fifty thousand each. After transporting the uh, stolen money across town and through a few hiding spots, the money in AirTag arrived at the suspect's hideout. <laughs> wow, all that work to be brought down by something a little bit bigger than a quarter. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff. You don't need those little um, die bags anymore that uh, they used to put in bank teller things. You just put a little AirTag in there. Just sew it into the... Uh, money bag lining and off you go. Um, okay. So um, Apple strongly advises that the air tag is a theft deterrent at best and never meant to be used to track stolen devices. Although it's used to do exactly that with regularity. If something is suspected to be stolen and has an air tag tracker, alert the police rather than attempting to get the device back yourself. I suggest you don't do that either. <laughs> Your stuff can be replaced. You cannot be. And um, you end up getting hurt. Although I do have to admit that for whatever reason, cops don't necessarily jump into their car and start tracing your air tag down. Um, but I won't get into that. It's just that they've got different priorities, you know? Okay. So let's just, let, let me move on to the next article. Let's keep on going. Um, and I'm putting these little, 
transitions in between the articles. Um, let me know how you um, feel about that out there in uh, chat land. So this next article is in the word in law. U.S. seizes Z library login domain, but secret URLs uh, for each user remain active. The thing, thank you, Z. Uh, the thing about this is the only thing that they did was they seized one login domain, but the system is still operational. So it's whack-a-mole. It's the same kind of thing. It's a distributed system, so they're not really worried about it. So Does that make sense? Change the login at the administrator level. Well, no, uh, the the system is distributed. So what you end up doing is you have a URL for Z library. You log in at that U URL and then you get connected to the distributed system. If somebody acquires that login, that domain from you, all you have to do is have that distributed system point to a different URL and you can log in from that URL. I see. Now, and I'm not talking about the administrative layer. I'm talking about the user layer. The administrative layer isn't even public to anybody, um, is probably um, accessible via like darknet or something. Um, U.S. authorities have seized another major Z library domain, but still haven't been able to wipe the pirate book site off the internet. It contains somewhere around 13 million books. Um, let's see. Let me just move over to Ars Technica and John Brodkin, who wrote the article. Z library avoids shutdown with personal URLs as Russians face criminal charges. Guess some people got caught. In November, U.S. authorities charged Russian nationals Anton Napolsky and Valeria Ermakova with criminal copyright infringement, wire fraud, and money laundering for allegedly operating Z Library. The U.S. said at the time that it seized 250 interrelated web domains run by Z Library and that Napolsky and Ermakova were arrested in Argentina at the request of the U.S. government. So um, it says, but the single login.me site now displays this website has been seized. Um, message over our Justice Department and FBI logos. So okay, I guess I've never seen that at a website. <laughs> I have. Um, it's always interesting uh, to see something like that happen. You could probably go to it right now. I won't bother, but I'm not sure I want to go to it. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to end up on a list? Because this yeah, is how you end up on a list. <laughs> well, now don't they don't even care. the answer somebody to be tracking me. <laughs> yeah, this will be a little bit more domestic. So. But let's go on to the next article. This next article. Uh, oh. Okay, so this next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Are you stressed out? Maybe you have too many browser tabs open. Well, I've got multiple monitors and I think I have a hundred tabs open. So I'm really stressed out if that's the ratio. So are you feeling anxious, demotivated, discombobulated even? If the answer is yes, you may want to ask yourself one thing. How many browser tabs do you have open right now? Students at Alto University in Finland 
recently studied the cause and effect of what they call browser clutter on people and the different ways that they have with uh, dealing with it. They surveyed 400 participants and interviewed over a dozen people who spent more than 10 hours a week online. 10 hours? Tourists. Amateur. <laughs> That's barely cutting the surface. Um, anyway, um, so 10 hours a week online about their browser habits and feelings once the tabs started piling in. So let's go over to PC Gamer and uh, George Jimenez. George Jimenez. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. A little uh, byline here. Um, are you or someone you love a tab hoarder? Yes. So let's see what else it says in here. Those who consider their excess tab usage a problem said it made them feel overwhelmed, anxious, frustrated, and demotivated. And if that wasn't enough, some said that the visual overload resulted in decreased work efficiency, uh, increased levels of distraction, and difficulty sorting through information. Hence the reason why I created Hometown. <laughs> That's um, a bit of an extreme reaction, but... <laughs> Hey, if you have information overload, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but if you have to, uh, you know, observe a bunch of information, then you do what I did, which was two things. I added multiple monitors and I created hometown. Um, so you added more places where you can have more browsers open, basically. Exactly. Um, so. They say uh, you might also want to check out some reviews for those sweet gaming rigs leading to even more open tabs. Once you're done with that, you'll go look for the best price on whatever desktop you've chosen on various retail sites. And if you're doing this during work hours, you probably have a bunch of other work related tabs open like email spreadsheet and other docs open as well. Yes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so they say so many tabs. True. Well, let's see. There are some strategies you can employ if you're finding yourself swimming in a sea of windows and tabs. Browser extensions like Session Buddy let you organize your tabs into collections for later use. If you have to organize your tabs into sessions, you're never going back to it. You're just not. Right. Why not just close it at that point? Yeah. Or don't even open it. <laughs> put it in a put it in an actual spreadsheet and then you'll realize it's like spring cleaning. You throw a bunch of stuff somewhere and then eventually you go back and look at it and go, I have not looked at this for six months and you just chuck the whole thing. That's exactly what you do. Unless you're doing long-term research, like a PhD thesis or something, then, you know, all bets are off. You start having nightmares about your topic, but the, the idea here that you're going to go back it no, it just doesn't work that way. You got to do like those, um, the, the, uh, what do they call them? There's a show where somebody goes in and helps hoarders like clear yeah, out their that's stuff. Exactly what I was thinking about. I can't think of the name of it though. If you touch it, you decide what you're going to do with it and do it, whatever it is. Don't set it aside and say you'll come back to it. Gather the intelligence from it, consume it, whatever it is correlate it to something, collate it into a file somewhere, something that's actionable, and then move on. Otherwise, you'll just have that clutter. And that's how you end up with like 250,000 unread emails in your Google account. 
Anyway. I wouldn't um, know anything about that. Another effective strategy is developing better cl uh, tab closing habits. There you go. Closing tabs related to a task once the task is complete and ensuring that all tabs and windows are closed at the end of the day to prevent tab hoarding. Dun, dun, dun. Pretty neat. Um, usually it's situational awareness that I kind of propose to people. If you're being overwhelmed with data, figure it out, find out what it is that's important to you and separate it into individual files. I have uh, note files um, where I throw URLs and then I'll go back to it. But if I never even go back into that file, then I obviously it's not important enough for me to even work on it. So pick your battle. Did you want to add anything to it? I thought the people that were studied on this were quite frankly amateurs with the number of tabs that they had open. But, um, and I also wondered, it might depend on what you're using the browser on, because for example, on a phone, you might have a ton of um, internet tabs open, but you can't see them all unless you purposely display that. So it kind of takes care of itself. Whereas like on a desktop, maybe you have tons of stuff open and it's visible. It just depends on what your display looks like. But I wonder if they even got into that. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about what the platform was, right? Just that they had so. windows. And I thought that was kind of a problem because depending on what the display looks like, like you might not even realize you have a gazillion tabs open. Yeah. Particularly on a phone. Um, like if you have an ultra wide, a 32 nine so that you can put two full size, it's like a 27 inch or a 34 inch ultra wide, you can put two full size browsers side by side, um, and then have tabs within those and flip flop through them. Like, like nobody's business. Um, but that's like a power user kind of a thing, but 10 hours a week, you're not even approaching power user. Um, and if <laughs> you're, you're overwhelmed approaching like a regular citizen. Yeah. They say they commonly have one to three windows open and five to 10 opens, uh, windows open and or tabs open in each window. So somewhere between five and 30. Eh. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't sound like a lot, but <laughs> that's not even today's episode <laughs> right for one hour yeah i won't share what's on the other monitors okay well obviously i'm not somebody that can really assist other than saying like they say just close them out consume it and move on consume it and move on let's move on to the next article so the uh, next article is in the Daily News Show. Consumers are finally pushing back against greedflation and rejecting pricey charcoal. Um, this is only one little element uh, of something that I wanted to talk about, which is the fact that the producer price index dictates what the consumer price index is. And the producer price index has almost gone vertical at times. And Interestingly enough, it seems to never fully bounce back to where it started, which it's shows weird and, how uh, that happens. <laughs> yeah. And it's because they get a, a chance to discern the buying habits under stress. And so they never reduce their prices back or, or go, well, we got enough. 
we can actually reduce it to pre-surge period um, prices like lower than that and, and give our customers a freaking break. No, 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 no. There's more money on the table. We got to take it all. So things are getting smaller and more expensive. Um, there was something that I bought just the other day where I, I said, man, this thing, it, it seems to have gotten smaller and dramatically more expensive. And it's kind of like one of those Cadbury egg kind of scenarios. Oh, exactly. Where now you're they're this big, but they're getting less. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's called shrinkflation. But in this case here, it says Clorox, the company behind Kingsford Charcoal, raised prices more than rival brands during the first quarter of 2023. Now it's worried about losing market share going into the summer grilling season. Um, so Alex uh, Bitter, I think is their last name, over at BusinessInsider.com, wrote this article. Um, it's really interesting that charcoal is so expensive, but I think what's going to end up happening is there's going to be more people embracing electric grilling. Oh, I do too. And I suspect that's part of the anxiety on Kingsford's part. Um, because even gas, now I have a flat top um, griddle, uh, not a conventional grill. I don't use charcoal but I use propane, right? But I've looked at that and said, maybe I'm gonna switch to an electric griddle. Um, so I never have to worry about refueling. All I have to do is worry about where I get my power from. Now I'm not taking my grill anywhere, so it doesn't need to be a portable thing. It just needs to be plugged in. Consumers bought cheaper brands of charcoal leading to market share losses for Kingsford. Most consumers are wary of greedflation or when companies raise prices to pad their profit. A pad would be, I don't, I'm not sure why they defined it this way because, or when companies raise prices to be greedy bastards, they just lean on right. the greed term. Um, pad the profit just doesn't do it justice. No. So it says here, <clears throat> Like many consumer product makers, Clorox raised prices during the last quarter. They've had record profits since the pandemic started. Well, of course they did. Think about one of their primary products and what everybody wanted was yeah. um, like sanitizer, uh, sanitizers and wipes, basically. Yeah. Anything to sterilize the environment that they're in. Um, so that included price hikes on Kingsford, Clorox's uh, charcoal brand, CFO Kevin Jacobson told Reuters, probably speaking from his gold colored or gold plated Ferrari. Um, there's just one problem. Competitors, including store brands at uh, retailers like Walmart, didn't raise uh, prices so fast. Uh, Jacobson said, according to Reuters, eight pounds of charcoal, original charcoal briquettes, for instance, cost $7.92 on Walmart's website this week. But for four cents less, shoppers could get 16 pounds. Wow. Um, of charcoal if they bought Walmart's expert grill brand instead. Well, comparing to <laughs> predators. <laughs> doesn't really speak highly of the scenario at all. No, um, I want to hear another brand in there, but I think it's interesting that it's less for double the amount. Correct. Yeah. But then what they're going to sit there and lean on is the marketing message. Well, you get a superior burn from our charcoal because it's not Walmart. 
So it says now the brand is working with retailers to um, better feature the products in stores. You don't get it right in every country, every category. We're going back and making some adjustments, he said. The Kingsford spokesperson did not clarify what the action would involve and directed Insider to executives' remarks on Clorox's earnings call. Um, that they're laser focused on any price gap issues that they have. That they talk about supply chain and whatever else. Um, the phenomenon called greedflation is particularly obvious among prices for food and related goods. A recent survey found that 80% of consumers think that the companies are using inflation as an excuse to hike prices beyond their input costs. Yes, that's exactly what it is. They're and you've been saying that in other episodes. We've talked about eggs and lettuce and just all kinds of different yeah. gasoline um, yeah, I've been saying this since the show started, um, and that's in the show publicly around Ohm Town and other venues where I speak. I have been telling people pay attention to this stuff, because if you don't pay attention to it, this abuse is going to continue to happen. And what ended up happening and just like this. Um, and this has actually changed. So it says here, consumers are finally pushing back against greedflation and rejecting pricey charcoal. That's the title. But then here is the title. When we get to it, they've changed their, their title. But what I tell people is that if you don't complain about this stuff, then the abuse happens because they don't get any negative reinforcement. They don't get told that enough consumers are going to walk. So they just keep on raising the prices because if you keep on buying and not complaining, they'll go, Oh, it's fine. It's, it's right. fine. It, the market will bear it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just not buying it isn't good enough because all they do is they start measuring and it takes a longer time. Because word has to get out, more and more people have to talk amongst themselves, then they don't go and buy. But if more people talk about it, more people explain publicly or exclaim publicly that this is what's going on, then they actually take notice because the CPI declined slightly and the producer price index dropped dramatically when there was really vociferous public negative discourse about the producers but again the producers are the ones that create all of this stuff so if you don't want it make sure that you tell them that you don't want it and why you don't want it and yeah. the, the odd thing is the only brand of charcoal that i'm familiar with before this article is kingsford probably. yeah <laughs> probably kingsford yeah um okay so let's go on to the next we only have two more <clears throat> Sorry, we only have two more articles. The next one is in the Daily News show. Uh, TikTok had a list of users who viewed LGBTQ posts, raising alarm as the company faces scrutiny over ties to China. So this is the second article that we've had, but two different contexts, right? I was actually afraid the first one was going to get into the same content because you couldn't really tell from the headline. Um, but yes, these are entirely different issues, but very similar. Yep. TikTok users watching posts under LGBTQ categories were visible to employer uh, employees. Wall Street Journal reports a TikTok representative told the journal that the company cut off access to that kind of data last year. 
the Biden administration has looked to pressure TikTok's Chinese owner ByteDance to sell its stakes. Well, they can say they've sold their stakes and still eat it. Um, oh, there it is again. Or have like so, some sort of backdoor to the data or whatever. Exactly. And that was one of the things that popped up in the um, congressional hearings. Uh, before I get too far, you know, I haven't been throwing all of these into chat. Really sorry about that. Um, so the this TikTok issue, here's the CEO of TikTok, by the way. Um, Sindhu Sundar is the author of this article. And... I'll throw that in there. Um, so he keeps swearing that they don't have access um, and that they don't do the tracking anymore. And um, but then we just heard an article that was talking about this taking place in December. So when did it actually get cut off? Well, and if you're a regular user of TikTok, how much of your data is already collected? Yeah. Yeah, but the data collection, it could be just like a, a, a soft ping that lets people know where you are. It doesn't necessarily have to be very precise to find out that you're sitting in a military base somewhere. Well, TikTok users watching posts under LGBTQ categories were visible to employees. Wall Street Journal reports a TikTok representative told the journal that the company cut off access to that kind of information and ByteDance was told, sell your stakes by the administration. The thing about this is that this information can be used in myriad ways. So it could be exploited to blackmail or extort. It could be used to control in some way. It could be used uh, to prevent somebody from communicating something because they were looking at something LGBT. You know what? If I'm looking at something LGBTQ, I'll tell you all right now. You could go and tell anybody you want. <laughs> if you're parsing my information um, and I'm looking at LGBTQ, I'm an ally. You know, go ahead. Fine. I Try and use it against me and I'll cheerlead even louder. Uh, because I think everybody should be treated equal. Uh, it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong here, but the problem is that there are some people that don't want to be known as being involved in LGBTQ subjects. And that is the real shame of this. So when the, another country is sitting there saying, well, we can get all of this information, this quote unquote dirt on you. Um, it's rather exploitive. But that's not what really is being talked about with the dat data being gathered and stuff like that. Um, the federal government is worried about somebody being tracked or it well, being turned into a listening reporter, device. Right? right. I mean, the reporter article certainly says that's not just possible, but happening. Yeah, it was actually happening. Uh, meanwhile, they were being told that none of that actually takes place. Exactly, which undercuts again. I didn't see the hearing, but it sounds like that hearing would be completely meaningless. Yeah. So it says safeguarding the privacy and security of people who use TikTok is one of our top priorities. A representative for TikTok said in a statement to Insider, TikTok does not identify individuals or infer sensitive information such as sexual orientation or race based on what they watch. Okay. Here I'll use a I'll use an industry term bullshit 
you can gather all kinds of information about because I'm not going to sit there and watch My Little Pony if I'm not into My Little Pony. Well, exactly. And why would they be collecting that data except they want the data? Yeah, what is the purpose? Well, it's either to find out some social element there and then utilize it. If it's purely it mechanical marketing, right? But even so, I still don't think they should be collecting that. Well, I don't think that it should be exfiltrated to a country that won't allow that same level of interaction with the internal occupants of China and the free flow of information, etc. You know, but there's certain things that you can't do. There's certain things that you can't say. Um, this social credit scoring system that's in place, for instance, if you were to look at LGBTQ stuff online, then it would impact your social credit and you may not be able to travel from one region to another because your ability, your, your credentials are based around your social credit score. Um, and if you just search the web, you'll see articles that are representative of how many people are truly impacted by a low social credit score. And it's insidious in that neighbors are looking at neighbors askance because their social credit. If you hang out with somebody that has low social credit scores, it drags yours down too. Um, so this, this kind of knowledge, this kind of information, this aggregate data, it can always be, be drilled down to the individual um, because that's what's actionable. That little bit of data filters all the way up and then influences other people and they know who it is around them that has lower scores. It's very insidious. Um, but if it was used for nothing more than marketing, then I couldn't care. It's just one more, you know, quote unquote category, um, or worse, you could define it as a stereotype that, you know, a, a person who looks at this stuff will only like that stuff, whatever it might be. But for crying out loud, we're humans are way more dynamic and predictable at the same time. Um, it's why we can categorize people, but it's more along the lines of, hey, do you like uh, comic books? Yeah, I like comic books. OK, well, here I know of a club that you would like to be part of, not, hey, do you like comic books? Yeah. Where do you like comic books from? Because if you get them from this place, then, you know, I, I don't want to hang out with you because you're going to drag my social credit score down. Anyway, it says TikTok, which has about 150 million users in the U.S., according to uh, the company, has faced pressure from the Biden administration officials to separate its U.S. arm from the Chinese owners. They've attempted to do that by building a data center in Texas that says that it will cut off data from being exfiltrated to uh, China mainland. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> I was going to say, how much confidence do you have in that? Um, but that's really what this is. Th that's where this all ends. I don't think that anybody should be impacted by what they look at, who they interact with online, unless it's a conspiracy to overthrow the government like January 6th um, or cause great harm to someone like January 6th, well, yeah, you know, there's limits. There's certain things. Um, and, you know, 
You mean like seditious conspiracy? Like seditious conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it just, it, it bothers me, but I I don't want to, I'll just um, move on from this. I don't believe for my final word is I don't believe for a second that TikTok isn't being influenced by China mainland. Um, okay, so let's go over to this next in our last article. So this is in the mobile channel. California is seeking to take down Ticketmaster's monopoly. Um, I've joked about this only because I've lived in California. I've seen their product tags, but pretty much everything short of uh, a California grown flower is uh, cancer causing. And I think that they just slapped that label onto Ticketmaster. So a California bill is taking aim at US's largest ticket seller, whose position of dominance in the market has often left concert goers frustrated at the prices and availability of tickets. My problem with this, though, is that all they're doing is offering the right price to the venues so that they can sell tickets in bulk. But I I I always feel that this is nothing more than a scalper buying a shit ton of tickets. They're the middleman. Because I think that's the biggest issue. Like if they could figure out a way to avoid that and people could just buy tickets. I think it would, it wouldn't be perfect, but it'd be a lot better than it is now. So California is seeking to take down Ticketmaster's monopoly. Parent company Live Nation reported record revenue in the wake of Taylor Swift's tour debacle. So you can see that they're not, nothing punitive is happening. And there's some more greedflation going on. (laughs) Julia Malik over at QZ.com, which is Quartz. Um, wrote this article, has a picture of somebody holding up a sign that says, uh, can't shake it off the great monopoly war ticket swindler, which is ticket master. Uh, this is the problem though. Who's actually being greedy? Who's where is the real fault here? Ticketmaster's offering a service and the, the people, the venues are going, yeah, we'll take the big bulk money now and you sell the tickets piecemeal. So I think there's two problems. I mean, there's probably more, but there's the ticket scalpers and then there's the surge pricing. Right. I mean, the surge pricing is just ridiculous where it goes up to like thousands of dollars. Thousands, yeah. So the California bill is taking aim at the U.S. uh, largest ticket seller. Uh, As noted by author Pat Garofalo, the SB 829 bill introduced to the California Senate in uh, February seeks to undercut a key component of Ticketmaster's uh, monopoly, which is exclusivity. This is the word that I actually was saying in my head um, in other areas, but basically exclusivity um, allows someone to be special or feel special because there's only a few, whatever it might be. Um, But the problem here is that there's no competition, really. There's, There's no way to drive down the price. There's only one mega venue to purchase tickets. Then there's smatterings, right? Like I've got concert tickets from a place that isn't Ticketmaster, but they're following in the same suit as Ticketmaster 
where a ticket price started at $60 and ended up being considerably more. But because everybody else is doing it, I jump off the bridge too. That's what they're saying. Um, well, the ticket sales giant owned by Live Nation Entertainment dominates with at least estimated 70% of the uh, ticket uh, market and over 80% of the share for major concert ticket sales in the US. By its own admission, Ticketmaster usually signs five to seven year exclusivity deals with concert venues, though the agreements can sometimes exceed 10 years. See, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew they signed venues, but I, I assumed it was per tour or per event or something. I had no idea. And the reason why it's like this is because the friction to sell a ticket is massive. You have to set up a commercial account so and be able to process high-speed transactions. The moment it slows down, you have to ramp up personnel so that you can field calls and complaints and other special requests. People saying, well, I want an aisle. No, don't call in. Just use the website. Well, your website is slow or it's crashed or whatever. So you have to get these subject matter experts across the board or you bulk sell them to somebody that already has a metric ton of money. They give it all to you. You give them the tickets and they become the scalper. But they're right. Five to 10 years of exclusivity seems rather monopolistic. Well, it does. And that's the other thing. I mean, I think Ticketmaster has been known to be a problem for a long time. But of course, the, the prices have been getting higher, etc. And so somebody signed something a couple of years ago, it's going to be hard for them to get out of that. And they're not going to face the legal exposure by trying to get out of it. Yeah. Now I'm really curious about what the scope of those, um, exclusivity deals is like, can the venue or Ticketmaster say, well, I, I'm not going to buy the tickets. And so you can sell them or can the venue say, here's the price that I'm demanding since we're exclusive. Uh, you have to purchase them at the point that I'm selling them. What really is going on there? Well, keep so, in mind who probably has all the power in this contract. And so while I think those are possible, I don't think those do exist. Yeah, the one who has all of the power is the one that hands the other person to sign. You know, exactly. I'm the, the creator of the contract. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I would bet, bet it says something like, you're stuck in this deal for years. We're setting the price wherever we want, and we reserve the right to change it at every second for any reason. Yeah. Too bad, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I've actually, I've I've been handed contracts where... I've changed things because I've let them write it and they're like, Oh, I'm gonna have to take this back to legal. I'm like, all right. But <laughs> my perspective is what I've just documented here. So uh, just, just sign it because that's where we're going to end. Up. <laughs> um, because I'm coming from a point of, you know, equity and, and uh, inclusion and, um, uh, well, not abusive not in nature. In yeah, see, why do I have to? Yeah, why do I have to be a ethical capitalist for crying out loud? So, 
I guess the the bill really is the attempt to hobble that ability to uh, enter an exclusive contract. I still think that somebody needs to. I wish that I had the the capability to do this, um, but I this is a level of partnership um, and investment that I don't even want to begin to babysit. But a venue, uh, uh, a service needs to spin up that zeroes the friction and can represent a multitude of venues where it's a reasonable rate of return on the ticket being sold, not so predatory, not 10 years of exclusivity. Um, it's This is an insane amount of abuse, I would say. But I've, I've heard from people saying it to me, who are you to dictate how rich someone becomes? And uh, to that, I just say, well, look around. I mean, does anybody need a billion dollars? You can earn a tremendous amount of money on the interest alone, more than you'll ever, ever need, more than generations in the future of your family line will ever need. It's it's talking, it's about being part of society and reasonable um, versus I never rest until I have all of the money off of the table. Scrooge until McDuck. Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> Swimming around in your gold. <laughs> So the bill is currently set for a state Senate Appropriations Committee hearing on May 8th. Courts has reached out to Ticketmaster and Live Nation for comment. Where no, they probably I hope just sign. Successful because obviously that's a state with number one, it has a large number of venues, but it has some well-known venues and um, that could that could make some change in the ticket industry. Here's another interesting stat. So, but disputes with Ticketmaster date back to 1994. That year, alt rock band Pearl Jam canceled its summer tour when it discovered the company was slapping a service charge far above their requested cap of $1.80. The group lodged an antitrust complaint against Ticketmaster, and Pearl Jam ultimately lost its crusade, with the Justice Department closing its investigation on July 5th of that year. Getting attacked by a superstar rock band is a lot like being accused of kicking your dog. There's a general presumption of guilt until proven innocent, said Ticketmaster. Luckily, the facts were on their side and they prevailed. Ticketmaster prevailed. Pearl Jam decided to forego Ticketmaster for its tour in 1995, a decision that reportedly cost the group millions of dollars. It ultimately canceled its tour in the U.S. due to difficulty finding venues. So why did it have difficulty finding venues? Because they all had exclusive agreements with Ticketmaster, I would bet. They couldn't go outside of that. And if they're saying, hey, I'm not going to go through Ticketmaster, that effectively means they're not going to those venues, which is a problem. So you're what you're saying, though, is that it's rather extortion. It's not monopoly. It's extortion, because if the exclusivity deal says if Pearl Jam comes to you and says, hey, we want to start selling tickets and we have a facility to sell those tickets. The venue, because of their exclusivity agreement, can't hold 
Pearl Jam's concert? Well, so they can't sell the tickets except for their Ticketmaster. I mean, I think so. We don't have the details, but I believe so. That's how the article reads to me, too, right? Yeah. So they're literally held hostage about who can actually do it, which is monopolistic, but it's rather more extortion. Do this or, yeah, I think it rises to criminal. But that's just me. I am an ethical capitalist. An exclusivity deal doesn't seem right in this because I would like to have everybody selling my tickets fast and furious, populate it as quick as possible. So I've got the cash in my coffer. So this is interesting. I wonder, because there's been so much uproar lately, even more so than usual about Ticketmaster um, and the hearing and everything, I wonder if some of the state's attorneys generals are going to go after them for things like what you were just describing. So here's another stat because you I don't know if you read on with this. Yesterday, May 4th, Live Nation reported a record $3.1 billion in first quarter revenue, up 73% from the same year last year. So year over year, it went up 73%. It brought in $2.3 billion in concert revenue, marking an 89% jump year over year. Okay, this is insane. So I think that's a crazy stat. However, I would like to see what the numbers look like between 2023 and say 2019. And the reason is oh, if right. there weren't any live events, but <laughs> it could truly just be to skyrocketing prices. I just it's hard to tell because of the time frame. This is the debauchery phase of society going back out. Possibly, but again, they could still be doubling their profits or something even with, I mean, we just don't have enough detail there. This is the Roman games. I'm going to the gladiatorial combat, honey. I don't care what the price is. I am going out there. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So let's see how much this dips, but I suspect right. with inflation. Like, is it going to go up 90% until 2024? Then we'll really know, right? Well, they even acknowledge it. It says part of the jump is likely due to pent up demand following years of COVID restrictions. Uh, I suppose. Oh, and but that's part. What if that's 1% of it or something? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, just to just to kind of riff off of that little statement there about COVID restrictions. Did you read that we are apparently no longer in a pandemic? Yeah, Yay. which sounds they wonderful, said, except we still are. <laughs> they said a long time ago, it's just like a miracle. It's just going to stop one day. It's just going to end. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I was a little surprised by that announcement today. But anyway. It only took three years. I mean, I guess just declare it and it just goes away. <laughs> just declare it. It's done. Okay. Hospitals totally empty now. Nobody's sick. Nobody's still quarantining, you know. Quarantining? <laughs> I know. I feel like I started to say quarantini. Quarantini. All right. That's it, folks. We are done for tonight. So we always go back to the welcome sign, which doesn't really exist. I always say that. And then um, we refresh. We get a whole bunch of. Uh, new articles. 
Looks like the Lancet fish is back in the news. <laughs> oh, no, not the Lancet fish. Seven foot long cannibalistic fish with fangs. Z, you're leaving. Thanks for hanging out, chatting, sticking around with us. Appreciate it. See you in a bit, I'm sure. You have a good day, good night, good afternoon. Everything in between. Thanks a bunch. I don't know of any other uh, articles that are... Should we... Um, I don't know. Just uh, call it? I don't see anything on the main page to feature. Okay. Well, we'll just call it. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. There's always something for you, me, and everyone else. You want to say bye? AI. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern, not 9 p.m. if you're in a different time zone. Because how does time work? Like, so it's nine o'clock here. That means that it's what o'clock where you are? Well, it depends on where you are. <laughs> oh, this is hard. It's almost like magnets. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Good night, everybody.